0: This podcast was recorded on the Yugambeh region. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Hello friends, welcome to Hello, I'm Healing, the podcast. I'm your host, Renee, NLP practitioner, illness recovery coach, mindset mentor, speaker, and cancer warrior. This is the podcast to talk all things health, illness, and medical experiences in young adults, to break down the taboo-ness, to shine a light to allow you to feel less alone, most importantly, help you heal, and hopefully educate you along the way. These are real people sharing real experiences and real stories, one conversation at a time. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello, guys. Welcome back to Hello, I'm Healing, the podcast. It's me, your host, Renee. And we are back today with another guest, uh, Millie. So Millie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm super excited to hear your story. I haven't heard it before. So everything that we are talking about today is all just a fresh conversation, which I love. Uh, Tell us who you are, where you're from, maybe a fun fact about you. Sure. So hi, everybody.
1: Hi, Renee. I'm Millie. I'm Twenty-four. Um, originally from Perth, WA. Uh, grew up, born and raised in Perth. Born in Sydney, moved to Perth. Um, moved to Sydney five years ago after finishing school for uni. Um, I got a scholarship to UNSW to study law, so
0: Amazing. that's where
1: I am now. Um, love it here. And fun fact about me is. Oh I was a hardcore gymnast growing up so. So cool. Yeah big athlete don't not now (laughs) ask me to do a flip now I might just look at you a bit funny but um yeah growing up I was a very intense gymnast.
0: That's awesome that's super cool do you think you would ever go back into doing any kind of gymnastics or anything?
1: I don't think I could now I look at like how fit I was and you know, like <laughs> what I used to be able to do and I'm like oh my goodness that's incredible I could never <laughs> that
0: is so funny yeah. oh I love that I love that and yeah I would you ever go back to Perth Perth is beautiful
1: I go back twice a year to see my family because all my family's there and all the friends I went to school with right yeah um, during COVID obviously couldn't go back, but mm-hmm. making up for that now by going back a little bit more often for holidays to see my parents. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful
0: because it's so quiet. It um, is, especially compared to Sydney, like exactly. night and day different.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's a lot more peaceful. The beaches are gorgeous and it's just mm-hmm. nice to see my family and have meals cooked for me and, you know, all yeah. the things that your mum and dad do. Um but yes I love Sydney. My life is very much here now.
0: Yeah, wow, I love that. So, <laughs> let's um dive into it. Tell us about your medical experience. What have you experienced and what has that looked like for you?
1: Yeah, so from the age of about 13, probably when I got my first period, I began experiencing pain with menstruation. Um also pain outside of that so I guess just daily nausea daily fatigue um but particularly on my period I would get horrible pain that would leave me curled up in a ball um insane bleeding and you know I'd say to my mom like this is really bad and she'd see me you know she'd see me at night crying and during the day curled up in a ball unable to function um she had similar experiences with her period growing up. So she was very much, you know, like this is normal. This is okay. It's hard, but you get through it, kind of thing. And we went to a couple of GPs and I was always told, oh, you know, some girls just get bad periods. You just
0: it's part of being a woman. Oh my gosh, that's so frustrating to hear because it's actually oh, not normal.
1: It well, I not I didn't know that. And no one, I think, you know, as kids, you don't speak about your period, do you? You don't go to school and say, I've got a really bad period. You just kind of go. Everyone's going through it. I just need to toughen
0: up. It's like, yeah, it's shame taboo. It's awkward. Very it's uncomfortable. Much. Like so many women are like, shh, don't speak about it.
1: Very much. And especially because endometriosis has that genetic component. And so when I'm, you're talking to your mom about it, which I was, um, you're just being told, yeah, it is normal. I went through the same because you know my mom probably did have endometriosis. Yeah. You don't think it's anything out of the ordinary, unfortunately,
0: which is definitely what contributes to that huge eight-year diagnosis time. That is massive. That's a huge, like, time. I'm hoping that with future and things like that, that starts to, the gap starts to, like, shorten because it is so common these days. One in nine. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. that's absolutely wild. That's insane. It's also really interesting to me, right, that we were like when we were in school and all of that and we were experiencing it, you don't really talk about it and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and, like, be quiet, shh, that's weird. Yeah. Where if you think back on, like, olden times and tribal days and things like that, when girls got their periods, it was such a celebration. Yeah. It and really, Yeah, totally. It was such an embodiment part and... You know, they were so much more educated around it where I'm not sure what happened along the way, um, yeah. but something changed and it became really awful and, you know, don't talk about it and shamed and quiet and silenced and um, almost like, yeah, this really gross thing. And I'm like, it happens every month to women. Yeah. Like- yeah. It's so, and it's like part of our actual cycle, like our emotional cycle. Everything it literally controls our entire month
1: completely. <laughs> so
0: oh, yeah, no, absolutely. You're so right. It used to be something that was celebrated,
1: something that was so beautiful, embodiment of coming a woman, and now we're just
0: silenced. Not don't speak about it. It's gross. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. I actually really love these conversations, and I. Love to like join in them, and I personally haven't experienced endometriosis, mm. um, although I do find it really fascinating and really interesting. And just like again, one of my biggest missions is to break down taboo topics. So I'm so happy that we're here talking about it. What did so then you were in high school? How old were you at the time when you got your period? I was 13 when I got my first period. Yeah and then so then navigating that before your diagnosis what did that kind of look like for you a lot of
1: time off school um catching up on sleep i was so tired all the time I was so so tired and i put it down to gymnastics a lot of it but um i had to stop gymnastics i didn't have the energy to keep up with that in school to be honest wow. um a lot of diet changes because you know i was told maybe you're gluten intolerant maybe you know you've got IBS so changed a lot of my diet um really restricted what I could and couldn't eat which is really hard when you're growing up going through puberty and you know you're a teenage girl um it's I think it's quite dangerous to start restricting your diet um and especially having doctors telling you those kind of things without um exploring other you know possible diagnoses so you know there was there was that aspect um and a lot of psychology, to be honest, definitely seeing a lot of psychologists just going, my life's so limited by this pain. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how do, how do I get through this? And at the time it was, really, it was really a mental block for me. It was really, it's just anxiety. It's just mm-hmm. dieting. Um, so there's a lot of self-doubt in there as well, which looking back on it, you know, my heart really aches um, for younger me and other people. That have similar stories because it shouldn't have been like that
0: yeah absolutely and I mean I love that you touched upon how with the restriction in diet and stuff like that diet culture is I believe truly toxic (laughs) and especially as a young girl like navigating high school navigating going through puberty and all of that like it has its own challenges. So then to add all these other elements into it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that that was, you know, had its moments of being a really difficult time and missing out on school and all of that as well. Like Totally. You know, I'd present at emergency, gosh, like relatively
1: often um, and more than once I'd, I'd have ultrasounds, you know, I'd have bloods taken and I'd just be told, you're fine it's really period takes me oh gosh yes Uh, you know I think back to having my first ultrasound at like probably age 14 um presenting in the children's hospital and they they took my parents my dad out of the room and asked me if there was a chance I could be pregnant Mm -hmm. and then I said no they were like you know tell us the truth and I just I just remember sitting there going oh my gosh no I like no I'm 14 Um, absolutely not um so there's definitely a lot of medical trauma I think um it really made me not want to head back to the medical system and just really made me go I'm just going to deal with this on my own mm-hmm. every person every person that gets a period this is what they go through I just got to toughen up
0: oh my gosh it's such yeah that's that's toxic in itself and it's, it's like not even because of something that you done like Yeah, this is why it makes me super hopeful that moving forward, because it is more and more common, more and more people are talking about it, which is great. You know, doctors are actually able to look at that as probably a first sign of something rather than just doing an ultrasound and being like, oh, yeah, whack, it's nothing. Absolutely. That's why conversations like these
1: are so important. So, you know, other people, other young women, other girls, they hear this and they go, "Okay, I'm my story. I'm not alone Mm -hmm. and my pain isn't normal.
0: Yeah. And so what is the diagnosis process of endo? So endo
1: can't be diagnosed, um, any way currently other than invasive surgery, unfortunately. So when I was 19, I I'd moved to Sydney by this point and my I was it got into the point where I was so bloated. My stomach was so hard. I'd have people saying to me, Are you pregnant? Wow. Um, which horrible for self-esteem. And I went to my GP, it was just a university doctor, and I said to her, Um, like, I, I can't eat, I can't lie on my stomach. It's it's I'm so bloated. And she said, Has anyone ever sent you in for a transvaginal ultrasound? And I said, No, what is that? Um she sent me in, and as it sounds, it's it's pretty invasive. They send um, a probe up your vagina um, and have a look inside. They push your organs around, God, um, that awful. which is painful to any person, let alone someone with endo who might have, you know, little lesions around on those organs that do not like being touched. Um, and you can't you can't see endometriosis on those kind of scans anyway, mm-hmm. um, but. I did have a cyst and I have a family history of cancer. So they saw the cyst and I was immediately referred to a gynecologist oncologist
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, who said, this could be an explanation for your symptoms. Um, We're going to have to operate. But have you ever heard of endometriosis? I think you might have that. And I just was like, endo what? Yeah. (laughs) Um. So obviously I was stuck on the word cancer, so I didn't really give much thought to a secondary diagnosis. But I was pushed in for surgery very quickly just because of the size of the cyst and Mm -hmm. family history. And um, within a week I'd undergone a laparoscopy, so an invasive surgery where they removed the cyst, which was non-cancerous, thank goodness.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But I was told I had endometriosis all over all over my um, organs in my ovaries and my bowel, etc um, and that had all been excised, removed mm-hmm. um, hopefully. and that that was that I was told that was it. I was told you know, okay, well, you had endometriosis, you don't anymore. Um, that was the explanation for your pain, but you won't be experiencing pain anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh amazing, thank goodness, this is so great. Nah. Um, and so recovering from surgery was tough, as it always is, but I had this mindset of, you know, I don't have cancer and I don't have endometriosis. I'm never going to have pain and my nausea is gone and my fatigue is gone. Exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was for a while. It really was. Um, I had six months. And and then this is quite hard, actually, and I think a lot of people with diagnosis, diagnose endo that is successfully removed to go through this. Six months of being able to s- survive on seven hours sleep, and not needing naps
0: mm-hmm. and
1: not being nauseous all the time. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. I was like, <laughs> is this how people live? Oh, my gosh. So exciting.
0: Yes, that's what life is like. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, it was incredible. Um, and then the endo, it, it, it's a chronic disease, and that's not explained to a lot of people when they're first diagnosed. And because we don't know what causes it, it grows back.
0: Right. Um, that was my next question for you. Does it grow back?
1: Yes, it does. Um, and it's not explained. It grows back for um sorry what was I saying it grows back when for some it can take longer for some people shorter for others mm-hmm. um d- can depend on the surgery the type of surgeon you have the skills and it can also depend on your own that your personal um endometriosis and for me it grew back within six months and I knew that because I started getting tired again mm-hmm. and I think um, you know, this is the kind of tide I'd ex- been experiencing all my life, but it was harder this time because I knew what life
0: was without it. Yeah, of um, course. Before it was like just normal. This is just the way of life, and now you've experienced life at a different level, a higher level. Yeah, it was like, oh God.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I started to come back, and I think that was really hard mentally. Um, so I just went, "Is this my life now? Like, is this is this what I have to go through for the rest of my life?" um so shortly after that I entered a clinical trial um for an experimental drug just because I was like I don't I don't want to go through this again Mm -hmm. um and I was accepted onto that trial and it put me into an artificial menopause um to see if that would halt the growth of endometriosis and or stop the pain um We now know that these kind of medications don't stop the growth of endometriosis, but they do mask the pain for some. So that was excellent. It was a year of no pain. Um, Unfortunately, it did put me into
0: menopause, which, yeah, which is yourself. Sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Being so young, too, like you're 24 years old, experiencing. I was 20, 20 at the time. You're you're still a baby.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like, you know, you're saying to your friends, oh, I'm so, like, I'm, I'm actually drenched in sweat. Like, this is horrible. And they're like, oh, that's not good, you know. Like, no one gets it. Um, but, yeah, so I went through that and then I was disqualified from that trial in the end because my bone density dropped pretty significantly, which is a side effect of menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: they cut me out of that.
1: And then... It's then interesting, it
0: just... too, to me that it's just just mask the pain yeah like let's treat the pain at the root cause rather than just putting a band-aid on it like I appreciate the medical system so much I know they do incredible work and I also get so frustrated with just throwing a band-aid on something unfortunately
1: (laughs) all endometriosis treatments are a band-aid we don't we don't have a cure so and until we do have a cure Every treatment available is masking the pain. It's basically palliative options to manage the pain until a cure is found. Because crazy, considering how
0: common it is. Like that to me just blows my mind. Insane
1: to me. It's insane to me how common it is, how under talked about it is, how under diagnosed it is, and how under funded it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I, I sometimes think if this was an issue that affected men and there is some research out there to indicate it does really affect men and there are some amazing advocates doing some work in this space to show that because you know if it does affect men that could really affect how we find a cure and the mm-hmm. funding is allocated to it but uh, if it did affect men more commonly I think um there'd be a lot more funding and research into it yeah interesting gosh it's very frustrating (laughs) oh frustrating so yeah around after the clinical trial I started um doing some research and I realized endometriosis affects your fertility so Mm -hmm. I started asking some questions around that and saying how do I test my fertility and I was told by so many different doctors you're young you don't need to worry about that worry about that when you turn 25 it's not a thing it's not gonna it's like you know it's really rare endometriosis really rarely affects fertility and it's just something you need to worry about and so I was just like okay trust that is that's fine um went through life I was told you know don't have surgery yet the close the sooner you have your surgeries together the more risky it is so palliative options pain management that was my life and then 20 10, 22 and I had a new GP and I raised my fertility concerns with her, as I always do. And she said, oh, you know, it's actually a really simple blood test. It's really mm-hmm. easy to test your fertility, um, to get an indicator of it at least. Yeah. It's called an AMH blood test. It is an out-of-pocket cost. Here you go. I'll write the script for you. Um, and I was shocked because if it was that easy, why had no one listened to me mm-hmm. and given me that blood test?
0: Well, this Mm. is the other thing too, being a young female, so many young females are just kind of like pushed away or silenced in the world too. Like they're not listened to, they're not taken seriously. Yeah. Like, and sometimes it can be really challenging to really advocate for yourself because if you're being silenced so much, it's like, yeah, sometimes you get to a point and you're like, well, what's the point anymore? Like I'm just going to give up and I'll just wait. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's Sorry. And that's
0: why I just,
1: I mean, you believe them as well. You believe doctors. So When they tell you it's not a concern, you go, okay, mm-hmm. my bad. I did read that off Google, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had my AMH done and um, it came back as a, a score of someone in their 50s, basically, a fertility of someone in their 50s. Wow. And told, if you ever want the chance to fall pregnant, you need to undergo immediate um. IVF egg freezing treatment. Mm -hmm. So, twenty two being told this, I was just like, you know, I don't even know if I want kids. This is yeah something I haven't even considered. Um, and I was thrown into it, um, because I wanted to give future me the option. Mm -hmm. And I'm luckily I could afford it as well with the help of my parents, um, because it's so expensive. You get a medical rebate commonly if you have endometriosis but it's not it's not free <laughs> um, even if it's being done for a medical reason I know I think it's different for cancer um Yeah
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, mine was a little bit different and it got it all happened ridiculously quickly Yeah I've heard that Yeah I will say I was very very fortunate and very fortunate to live in Australia yeah. to experience that and then we just pay a fee. I think it's every six months now to keep the eggs in the freezer. Yeah. Um, and if we do need to use them in the future, then obviously we will need to pay for the costs involved in that. Although yeah, okay. for the actual retrieval, we pretty much just paid for the actual medication, so the injections. Yeah. And then we paid for the anesthesiologist. Yeah, gotcha. Considering like the process is actually so quick, like yeah. the retrieval and them being there. An anesthesiologist, they're so expensive. <laughs> so expensive, right? I'm like, we're here and for 10 minutes. That's it.
1: Yeah, we a 10, five, 10-minute 10 consult beforehand, and you get the bill and oh that consult cost you $330. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, it's so <laughs> crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. Um, but yes, I'm I'm glad you were able to freeze i've got some friends who had cancer and yeah it happens so quickly sometimes you don't even have the opportunity before mm-hmm. starting treatment to go through the yeah reservation process so i'm really glad you were able to have that yeah. option Thank you. <laughs> um so yes I, I went through that um unfortunately because my amh was so low and i had such a low egg count because my endometriosis had basically been destroying my fertility mm-hmm. um i had to go through five rounds um because I just had such poor responses. You know, I was getting two or three eggs per round. Um, And my fertility specialist was like, well, one kid kind of equals 10 eggs, so we've got to keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went through that and then afterwards, you know, I kind of reflected on the process and was like, that sucked. I was so alone. I still am so alone. I still know no one my age are going through something similar who can relate endo affects one in nine why don't I know anyone else Mm -hmm. so I started um an online blog called endo articles for young people living with endometriosis and it started with sharing my endo story and the stories of other people my age similar ages who had been through things and it really quickly grew so I think within a month two months I had a thousand followers and that's when I was like this is so needed, you know, there is just no community, there's no organisation that's really encouraging a community and encouraging us to connect with one another. And, Mm -hmm. you know, community is really so
0: important. It empowers you, it um, helps you to advocate for yourself. Yeah, well, we crave it. We crave, gosh, my voice is having a hard time today. Um, We crave connection. Yeah. Also, the other thing when we go through experiences like this is while it is so uniquely individual, when we experience something, those experiences connect us yeah, and they allow us to just feel less alone because one of the human's biggest fears is loneliness. Yeah. And so, yeah, when we can find community and support and other people like us, it's like, oh, okay, like I'm actually not alone in this. I'm not a weirdo
1: yeah and endometriosis can be such a lonely disease. You know you spend a lot of your teen years being told that your pain's normal and you and you go and you do internalize that and it's very lonely. So you're totally right to have that community, that, that connection so powerful, so important and yeah. make it shows you you're not alone. So um yeah, I turned endo articles just got bigger and bigger. And um, I started running events and that's, right. yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm at now. We just incorporated as an organisation and on track to become a charity, which is so exciting. And the whole purpose of Endo Articles is to connect, support and advocate for young people living with endometriosis so that no one goes through the disease alone. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's just been incredible getting to meet all kinds of other young people who've lived with this disease and, you know, have had to terminate pregnancies or have literally died on the operating table and had to be resuscitated and revived or uh, have gone through 15-plus surgeries and are still living with the devastating side effects of this disease. Um, I think it's really powerful to me and shows me how much work needs to be done in this space. And it also really empowers me um, and gives me a purpose to keep running events, um, keep bringing the community together, keep providing support in all the ways that I can um, through Endo Articles. And I'm really grateful that I have this platform to do this.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's super, super cool. And I think it's so beautiful And so powerful when people take their pain and just make it their purpose. Yeah. Go. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think I'm lucky that my pain is manageable in that sense. Like I still haven't had another endo surgery since my first, and I'm really of the mindset like to just hold out as long as I can. Um, But yeah, you're totally right. My pain has become my purpose, and every time I, I do. I have my pain like today I've I've been a bit of pain I got my hot water bottle here <laughs> um but I just go you know I'm not alone and being able to say that is something I was never able to say
0: so, yeah yeah I love that I I have two questions here I do want to know more about the events because that's flippant incredible what you're doing there you. and I do want to know um have you, like, what have you found to help manage the pain since your last surgery? Cause I know that you're holding off on having another one and things like that, which makes complete sense. Yeah. How are you managing it? Have you found things that have helped? I know we spoke off, um, before we started recording, um, you'd mentioned like a naturopath and things yeah. like that. So what have you found that has worked for you to help manage that and actually make life livable?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, so I could divide it into so many different things. I think there's definitely the medication side. So I take um, a range of different prescribed pain medication um, daily to help with daily pain, but also, you know, when the pain gets bad, I have stronger things to help with that. Um, And then I have an incredible pain specialist who I think, as we mentioned, he's really big on incorporating both, you know, medical and natural. So. I have, um, I've had diet changes, so I've completely cut gluten out of my diet, and um, I, which really helps, and mm-hmm. I really limit my dairy as well. And that, those are actually things that I've learned to do from endo articles, meeting other people with endo who um, did those things, and it helps. So I did it, and I was like, oh, my goodness, it does help. It's not a cure, but it helps. Mm-hmm. Um, exercise, I changed the exercise. I was doing things that really activated my pelvic floor, Um, I stopped doing so I've had to cut down on running and Pilates and shift it into yoga um, and more softer movements. Mm -hmm. Um, I see a naturopath who gives me some supplements that really help. um, And I take those daily. Um, I've also really increased my fiber, which I do find can help particularly with bowel movements. Um, And then I see a pelvic floor physiotherapist twice a week. No, sorry, twice, every fortnight. Yeah. Um, and that's been amazing. Um, she's fantastic. She knows endo back to front and she's so great at helping me manage my pain. And then I also see a pain psychologist because pain for me can be so mental as well as physical. So when the pain starts, I find very much in my head I can start to, Go. This is bad. This can be bad. I'm going to end up at emergency. You know, I'm going to be sent away. I'm going to be horrible. And and seeing a pain psychologist can can really help with that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, there's a huge range of things that I do, and it's been a lot of trial and error. Um, but because pain is so multifaceted mm-hmm. and so complex, um, I just found you know that just having a medication route while helpful wasn't enough and wasn't sustainable um, to get me through. So that's why I really encourage people when I meet them through endo articles. having a good pain specialist on your side is the way to go.
0: Yeah and there's people that specialize like there's in these different avenues and professions and that that specialize in certain things. so whether they specialize in endometriosis, women's health, fertility, yeah cancer, like whatever it is that you are personally experiencing, there's specialists in those areas. Because when you think of like, oh, yeah, cool, a naturopath, like that's just one pillar. But off that pillar, there are specialty people. So it's just about finding the right person. And as we were talking about beforehand, like it's all about relationship. Like you've got to feel like you're seen and heard and held in that space so that you can actually go there and do the work to actually help
1: it. A hundred percent. Being heard is the most important thing to that relationship, especially when you come from a history of being gaslit and unheard. It's so important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Out of curiosity, have you ever tried acupuncture? I did try
1: acupuncture. Um, I went through it 2021 and I didn't it was really expensive yeah. um and so I went for, through it for three months and didn't find it did any benefit
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then I went through it so I stopped it because just because of the cost and because you know three months I was like I feel like I've given this a good shot and then I went through it again for fertility um because I read it can have some benefits for fertility mm. and it didn't um unfortunately
0: yeah
1: but while it didn't work for me I've actually had a couple of friends that swear by it. Yeah. Um, with endo who just say, yeah, it's expensive, but it's changed my life a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely something to retry with a different acupuncturist for me. Yeah. Um, sure. But it's just the cost. The cost is prohibitive, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so tricky because I've had a girlfriend on and she spoke about her endo journey mm. and, um, yeah, she swears by acupuncture. She's actually about to have a natural conceived birth after doing wow. um, that. Oh, congratulations to her. That's so Yeah, exciting. she actually done IVF and yes. they fell pregnant through IVF.
1: Amazing.
0: Um, and they lost the baby. Oh, that's and horrible. They actually were so... I don't know, something happened in the world and they were able to conceive naturally. And now they've pretty much gone to term and she should be here anytime now. Oh, (laughs) Um, it's so exciting. What a journey. Yeah, cool. And she saw a naturopath and she saw an acupuncturist and she said that she also had the surgery. And for her, once she saw a naturopath and got a great naturopath, got a great acupuncturist, she basically has not suffered with any side effects of endometriosis wow okay yeah Maybe. which is and <laughs> she like I've known her since she was 14 and yet her endo was brutal like mm. um basically yeah she would get up and it was like a tsunami every single time of a disaster like it was like a murder scene for her Gosh. Um, and so yeah it's so crazy because in her case like it worked so like I personally, again, I haven't been through endo, but like I just encourage people to like go and try different things. Yeah. You never know what's going to work for you, which is awesome. Oh, absolutely.
1: No, that that's good for her. That's incredible. Um, yeah. And completely agree. Try as many things as you can because, mm-hmm. yeah, there's no cure. You really got to figure it out on your own, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but completely understand that the cost. Yeah is there and yeah, there are chronic health care plans which are available. I mm-hmm. don't believe acupuncture is covered but they only cut co- the, the chronic healthcare plans are very limited in what they do cover. Um
0: yeah can you get a chronic health care plan with endo?
1: You can yes and it's one of the first things I'll always tell people to get go to your GP, get a chronic health care plan. Um, I don't I don't think acupuncture is covered, but pelvic physiotherapy mm-hmm. is I do believe my naturopath was, but it's only
0: five sessions. Yeah, um, five sessions is covered, and
1: I zipped through that within the first two months of the year. So,
0: yeah, I yes. um, I also got one when I came out of treatment, and it was mm. incredible. And I saw a physio, and yeah, I had the option to see a physio, a chiropractor, or a masseuse. Um, right, or, because they were all on the actual physical body. You yeah, they really see one, so I chose a physio yeah. because I was like had no. Like That's, movement, such, like a to That's
1: such a shame. That's such yeah. a shame. All three of those would have been so,
0: oh, good, excellent. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's it's one of those things, yes, alternative medicine is because a lot of the time some of it's actually not claimable on Medicare or if mm. it is, it's like such a small amount. And even if you've got private health and things like that, it's still quite expensive. And one of the things it's just like, oh. What price do you want to put on your well-being? Yeah. Like, yeah what price can you afford? Like
1: yeah. endo,
0: like a lot of chronic illnesses, I think is,
1: is a very expensive disease. Mm-hmm. Um, every doctor's appointment is like $200, you know, every this wow. is to see a specialist. A lot of the medications I take and a lot of people take are not covered by the PBS because of how risky they are, I guess, um, mm-hmm. pelvic physio, naturopath. Um, the exercise you do even restricting your diet can be quite expensive yeah so one that it's just it's just a shame that it's not covered more
0: I think yeah it's so thing. crazy too because it's people's health totally not yeah. expensive. <laughs> such a shame yeah tell us some um, more about your events I want to know more about that what what are they what if you're willing to share like, yeah, of course similar. Like, Um, what what do you do? What do they include? I think it's a really cool idea and concept that you're doing. And is it only in Sydney? Yeah, so currently it is only in Sydney, but um, hopefully with charity
1: status um, and being able to receive grants and funding, um, we will be able to expand across Australia because I've had a lot um, of people saying, bring this to Melbourne, bring this to Perth. And I'm like, I really want to. Yeah. the events, so they started as picnics. They started um, re- with just bringing people together in a picnic environment. Everyone has endo either suspected or diagnosed, and by suspected it's because um, I opened it up to that because I know getting a diagnosis can be really expensive, right? Um, so it started with picnics and reaching out. I reached out to a lot of Australian brands and said, this is what I'm doing. Would you be interested in putting together little care packages? Um And so many brands are amazing. And we're like, yes, we would love to. So at every event, um, attendees do get these beautiful care packages with products in them uh, that can help them, with that might help them with their endometriosis or just help them go home and feel a little bit, you know, beautiful and, like, non-medical. So things like heat packs, period undies, TENS machines, um, natural vitamins um, that are TGA-approved but might help with, bloating Mm -hmm. um so that's one aspect of it and then just more generally the events are designed to bring people together so so far this year we've had a picnic um and a mix and mingle event that was two weeks ago at um where was it we ran it at sage cosmetics Mm -hmm. which is this gorgeous essential oil making studio in camperdown um and they led us through making some beautiful natural products um that can like help you feel a little bit beautiful, maybe when you're having a bad pain day, so like a bath soak, for example. And at the event, we just have 20 people um, who all come together and just know that this is a safe space to share their journey, share their stories, ask questions and just listen um, yeah. if that's what they want to do. So, yeah, the events are getting bigger in scale as we um, get more funding, which is exciting. We have an egg an embryo freezing event coming up in june so if you're going through egg or embryo freezing for medical reasons it's an event to come together and meet other young people who are going through the same um which is something i would have loved when i was going through my freezing yeah um, right yeah this is absolutely. the event that i feel like i created endo articles for um, i'm very excited for this one um yeah, the hope is once we get more funding, we can turn it into things like weekends away or um, retreats, you know, just bigger scale and you know, little bigger things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've also expanded into delivering care packages to people that are recently diagnosed. You know, a bit of the you're not alone. Um, mm-hmm. There's a whole community here for you. And we also have um, we've partnered with a foundation to deliver meals. To people that are going through treatment or their carers um and they just don't have time or the cost the money to afford um food so we have a uh, food service available for them free of charge
0: okay. it's just things
1: that I wish I'd had um
0: yeah yeah I mean I wish I, I had that through my cancer treatment as well like that's so beautiful and you know it's just takes one person to experience that and go, this is what I missed out on. And this is what I really needed and really wanted Absolutely Change has to happen. And so I think what you're doing is absolutely incredible. Like, yeah, it's amazing. And I know that it'll benefit yeah. so many people. So it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah,
1: no, I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, I think to have this opportunity and to continue to meet people um, through endo articles that empower and inspire me to keep it going. I think you know, we've talked about community, and it's all about the community. Without the community, uh, and the community's response to endo articles, is la, well, I, I wouldn't do it. So I'm very grateful for the people. Yeah, around me.
0: that's amazing. And apart from your events and the charity and all of that, yes. what do you think is next for you? Do you th- is it your goal for that to be full time, or do you think you'll stay in law? Uh, well, finishing my law degree <laughs> is. Next on the list, I'm so
1: close, so that's really exciting. Um, I have got a full-time job lined up in law, in media law, so um, that that's next. It's something I'm really excited about to get into. So um, that's my plans for 2024. Becoming a charity is definitely huge. Um, I do need to find people to help me run it while I'm a full-time lawyer Mm -hmm. so while I would love for it like right now I'm really lucky that with uni I'm able to dedicate so much time to endo articles Mm -hmm. but um you know I've I've suffered so long for this law degree I will get a job and experience out of it so yeah I'm finding people at the moment to help me run it once I'm full time and can keep you know working towards the vision of creating a future where no person goes through endometriosis alone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And um, hopefully being able to eventually have enough, I guess, influence and recognition um, that we can lobby the government to direct more funding to finding a cure because it's all well and good to say no person goes through endo alone, but I shouldn't even have to say that. Mm -hmm. No person should go through endo full stop.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious to know what advice you would give to somebody who may be experiencing it. So this is a two part question. And then what advice would you give to somebody who has a loved one experiencing it? How can that person support the person experiencing endo? Hopefully that makes sense. (laughs) Those are good questions. I'm not very good at giving
1: advice. (laughs) So whatever I say, please take it with a grain of salt. And if it doesn't resonate with you, Mm. um, no need to listen to it. But I think someone going through endo gosh you're not alone um there's so many people out there like you um and I don't I know that's not necessarily advice but to hear that and to know that can really change the way that you interact with doctors and the way that you um go about on your medical journey I think um so yeah you're not alone there's a lot of us out there and we're all right there with you um alongside you um And I think to a loved one, I think it's equally hard for loved ones to say someone that you love going through endometriosis, I think of my partner and what he has to go through every month um, watching me. But, gosh, there's a community out there for you as well. But also I think listen to the person going through it, hear them, validate their experiences and... Yeah, be there for them. Mm -hmm. It it means so much to have someone who listens and is there for us. Um, We're so grateful. I'm so grateful to my friends and family that listen and validate me. So it just the littlest things, I think.
0: Yeah. Go a long way
1: in such a lonely disease.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And is there anything else that you would like to share or touch upon before we start to wrap things up?
1: No, I don't think so. I think you've given
0: me a beautiful space to share my story and my journey and all articles. So Amazing. thank you. You're thank so you welcome. And finally, I don't know if you do have one. Do you have a quote or a mantra or a saying that you like to live by or that you have used in the past that really kind of stands out and resonates for you? Gosh. Um, I do.
1: Great. But... I don't know if it's appropriate to say on here.
0: Oh, okay. I'm sure it's fine.
1: <laughs> um, something that I like to, you know, kind of just it empowers me is "fuck endo." Yeah. Um, I know it's it's not a lot, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it it's very powerful to me because I'm not my disease. Um, yeah. I'm more than my disease, I'm
0: Absolute. so many beautiful things. So yeah. for me, when pain's bad, I just go "fuck endo." And <laughs> yeah yeah I love that and I think that's a really important thing to touch upon that like you aren't endo and endo isn't you like you're not your disease you're so much more than that experience and that illness I don't know I have a weird thing around the word disease so I I typically don't use it because you're not contagious you're not like you know You can't pass it on to by being in the area of them. I don't know. I just have this weird thing around the word disease. So, (laughs) Um, yeah, for me personally, I always use like an illness or an experience Um, and like, yeah, that's a part of your life and it's like a chapter and, and all of these things. It's not, it doesn't define you as a person. Totally, 100%. Fuck
1: endo, fuck, fuck chronic illness, fuck cancer, you know, fuck it all. <laughs> yeah.
0: So amazing. Well, I have absolutely loved having you on. I've loved hearing about your journey and this charity and the events that you're running. It's friggin' epic. It's so, so cool. And I think what you're doing and just trailblazing in that space is something to be so incredibly proud of. Um, I can't thank wait to you. see what you do with it because I know it's going to do amazing things. So well, thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time and your energy and your vulnerability. It means so much. And I know that listeners will get so much from hearing. Oh, oh, thank you for giving me a platform to share. I really appreciate it. Of course. And as always, guys, make sure that you prioritize yourself, your health, and go make someone smile today. Until next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Hello, I'm Healing the podcast. This podcast is not possible without you, the listeners, and the incredible guests that come on here and share their stories so vulnerably. If today's episode did spark any concern for you, I encourage you to seek medical advice from your local GP or whoever that might be for you. Also, if you have experienced some kind of medical illness or have a medical background that you would like to share, please reach out to me on Instagram. You can find me at Brene underscore with love underscore. Also, I would love, 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 and ultimately appreciate if you could share this podcast and tag me. One, so I can personally thank you. And two, just so we can get this platform out there so that we can show people that there is support. There are people out there going through the trenches as well. Hopefully we can educate people along the way. Hopefully we can make people feel less alone in their own stories and build a beautiful community along the way.